Our Bibles are open to Paul's letter to the Ephesians this morning, Ephesians chapter number five for a few minutes today. If you need a copy of God's Word, pick one out of the rack in front of you and find page 919, page 919, and you'll be right at our text today. I'm told that first responders generally as a part of their training are equipped in what's commonly referred to as the law of three or the rule of threes. Have you heard them? Generally speaking, uh, I'm told that a person can last about three minutes without oxygen. And generally speaking, I'm told that a person can last about three hours exposed to frigid conditions. And I'm told that generally speaking, a person can last about three days without water And generally speaking, a person can last about three weeks without food. That's called the rule of threes, and everybody that's trained in life-saving techniques is equipped with that knowledge. All of that reflects what's known as the law of depletion, the law of depletion. There are things physically that simply will not last forever in our human existence. There are things that diminish over time, things that need to be replenished in our lives that we cannot live without. I think it's a fair bet to say in a room full of Baptists, number one, that all of us are planning on eating pretty well when church is over today. Isn't that generally true? Say amen. But I think I can also say with absolute clarity that not one of you single good-natured Baptist people have yet to eat a morsel of food since this time last Sunday morning. No, you don't go from Sunday to Sunday only eating one time and never eating again until seven days later. And in the same way that we need to replenish our supply of air, in the same way that we need to replenish our supply of water, in the same way we need to replenish our supply of food for energy, we also need to be replenished spiritually in order that we might grow and function as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. The law of depletion has a spiritual connotation just as much as it applies physically. And the spiritual principle behind all of that is what we called being filled with the Spirit. That's how you manage to get replenished during your times of spiritual depletion. You beseech God, you look to God, you inquire of God in order to be filled with the Spirit. We're in a series of messages that we're calling The Victorious Disciple, and we're seeking to answer a very simple question. How can I live in the consistent victory that the Lord Jesus Christ died to give to me? This is the victory, the Bible says, that overcomes the world, even our faith. We made very clear last week that if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, washed in the blood of Jesus, saved eternally, indwelled and endued with power from the Holy Spirit, You, by definition, are what we call a winner. We are victors, not because of anything that we bring to the table, but we are victors because of the indwelling power of the Lord Jesus Christ inside of every single one of us who know him by faith. But if that's the case, 
If the victory that overcomes the world is my faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, and if I indeed am a person of biblical faith, why is it that so many of us feel weak and defeated? Why is it that so many of us feel like we're in a dry, barren, spiritual wasteland? Last week, we visited about the importance of offering your body as a living sacrifice to God. That's the first thing that has to take place if you're going to live a life of consistent victory. Paul says there in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I urge you, brothers, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual act of worship. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so the first step in living a life of consistent victory is understanding that every single part of my life, my body, my mind, my spiritual will, has to be laid daily on an altar before God. I have to offer myself, not as a dead sacrifice to God, but as a living sacrifice to God. And I don't just do it one time whenever I get saved. It's a daily discipline. Have you offered your body a living sacrifice on this very Lord's Day, March the 6th, 2022? The only way to live in consistent victory is to make sure you do that. And then having done that, An important thing that we need to do is to learn to daily be spilled, uh, filled rather, with the Spirit. Let God spill the Spirit. And then as God spills the Spirit, we need to be filled with the Spirit. This is the focus of one of the most familiar passages of the Apostle Paul. It's Ephesians 5 verses 15 and following. Let's stand together as we read it and then let's pray that we might understand and apply it to our life. Ephesians 5 and verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with with the Spirit. Let's say verse 18 out loud together. Ready? Together. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be, but be filled with the Spirit. Father, that's what we want today. And as we collectively stand in your holy presence today with the book of God open before us, hear our hearts. We long to be filled with the Holy Spirit in order that we may live in consistent victory in a world that in every conceivable way is totally upside down. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And may our faith even increase today by a fresh filling of the Spirit of God all so that we may glorify the majesty of your great name with every part of our life. For the time is short and Jesus is coming. Find us faithful in his wonderful name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Thank you, church family. Y'all can be seated. 
Now, let me just say this morning that it's totally impossible to underestimate the importance of the Holy Spirit to a believer's life. Contrary to what you might hear on the street sometimes, Baptists are all about the Holy Spirit. Just because we're not Pentecostal by conviction doesn't mean, A, that we don't believe in the Holy Spirit, or, or, or B, that we're not in total reliance on the Holy Spirit. We absolutely must have the Holy Spirit, and we're totally dependent upon the Holy Spirit for life and for leadership. In fact, you can't be in a connected relationship <clears throat> to God, saved in any way, shape, or form, apart from the person and work of the Holy Spirit. In order to be saved, you have to first be convicted by the Holy Spirit that you're a sinner. You're never gonna convince yourself that you're a sinner separated from God. That's what the Holy Spirit must do in order to draw you to faith in Jesus Christ. And then once you repent of your sin and you express faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says that Christ moves into your life as a faith-filled believer and the way Christ abides in you is through the person of the Holy Spirit. We call that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God moves directly into your life and then he seals you as a believer, the Bible says. So the Holy Spirit convicts a would-be believer and then after a response of faith, the Holy Spirit indwells the believer. He baptizes the believer immerses the believer into the fullness of Jesus Christ. And then as he moves in, he seals the believer as a follower of Jesus Christ, not only for a short time, but for all of eternity, the Bible says. And the Holy Spirit, until such time that God comes and breaks that seal so that we can be in his eternal presence in the kingdom of heaven, the Holy Spirit is God indwelling the believer. <clears throat> For what purpose? To assist that believer, to encourage that believer, to, to comfort that believer, to guide that believer, and to teach that believer all of the wonderful things that our Lord Jesus Christ has said so that we might walk in holy fellowship and constant communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what the Holy Spirit does for us. But here's the problem. Along the way, the believer, that's you and me, we have to decide that we're gonna seek the Spirit's leadership and we have to decide that we're going to follow the Spirit's guidance. Even though the Spirit has indwelled you as a believer, the Bible makes it very clear that you as a human being this side of heaven are still broken. Any perfect people in the house this morning? So we've got a lot of people that have been perfected by God, but that's perfected in a spiritual sense. You're not yet perfected in a practical sense, and that's why you still desperately need the Holy Spirit's leadership. Even though you have the Holy Spirit within you, you can still stiff arm the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, quench not the Holy Spirit. That's a command, which means, last time I checked, you can quench the Holy Spirit which means you can say no to the Holy Spirit. You can resist the Holy Spirit. You can make a decision, even as a born-again believer, to go your own way and to live according to your own will. So you have to make a decision. I'm going to seek the Spirit's leadership. I'm going to ask the Spirit to guide me. And I'm going to follow the guidance when the Holy Spirit gives it. And you can be assured that whenever you ask the Spirit to guide you, here's the thing, He's going to guide you. He's not going to say, you know what? I'm tired. 
I don't think I'll guide you today. I don't think I'll give you wisdom from heaven today. He's never gonna say that. If you honestly seek the Spirit's guidance, he's going to guide you. The question is, are you going to follow where he leads? See, this is another song that's easier to sing than it is follow. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Well, if you don't mean it, you ought not sing it. Wherever means wherever. And the Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. He's gonna tell you where you need to go, how you need to live, and what you need to be doing. And this is why offering your body as a living sacrifice is so important. Doing it daily is so important. Because once you do that, once you offer yourself every morning as a living sacrifice to God, now you're in a position for the Spirit to do something with you. So if you're not on that altar as a living sacrifice before the Lord, you ought not think that the Holy Spirit can do much with your life. Now it's when you're on that altar now that you're in a position that the Holy Spirit can renew your mind and transform you in such a way that you live differently in a way that honors God and in a way that doesn't swim in the same direction the rest of the world does. Now listen, spiritual life and spiritual growth requires spiritual power, spiritual enablement. Paul will say in Galatians 5, 16, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the, of the flesh. Remember that verse? Walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Implication, fail to walk by the spirit and you'll live according to the flesh. And that's never pleasing to a holy God. That'll indicate that you've wiggled off the altar and are going your own way. If I were to ask how many of you here today, how many of you here today would admit I've wasted significant amounts of time in my life? Would you raise your hand? And my hand's right up with you. The rest of you have your pants on fire this morning. <laughs> Let me ask you this. How many of you have ever made decisions from time to time that have proven to be totally self-centered outside of the will of God. Would you raise your hand? That's all right, that's everybody here today. How many have ever reacted to people or to life circumstances or life events in ways that really weren't very Christ-like? Would you, would you, okay, that's everybody in the house this morning. See, I have a feeling that, that that catches pretty much all of us here today because you know as well as I do, as a believer, you can still fall asleep at the wheel. Isn't that right? As a believer, you can still waste your time and fritter away a precious time that could be used in meaningful kinds of ways. As a believer, you can still make decisions independently of the will of God, independently of the word of God. You can still make unwise choices as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can still disobey God. And why is that? Well, I submit to you this morning that one reason is even though we as genuine born-again followers of the Lord Jesus Christ are indwelled by the Spirit, we're not always filled with the Spirit. And that's the crux of the problem. That's the crux of the matter, the heart of the matter right there. We're not filled with the Spirit. And when you're not filled with the Spirit, chances are you'll fail to walk by the Spirit. And that's why in Ephesians 5.18, we've got a statement from Paul that's critically important to the victorious Christian life. Do not get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, there are a few things about that statement that I want to drill a little deeper on this morning, three, things that I, three or four things that I think that you need to notice. 
The first is that the statement, be filled with the Spirit, is a command. That's the first thing that you need to know. It's a command. Let me remind everybody here this morning that God does not make suggestions. Amen. God does not suggest anything in his word to those who are his people. God is a God who issues not suggestions but commandments. And that's why it's something of a problem if you're a Christian disciple and you're not spirit-filled. Because be filled with the spirit is a commandment of God. And so can I make this statement this morning? It's just as disobedient not to be filled with the spirit as it is to be drunk with wine. Just as disobedient before God. Not to be filled with the spirit as it is to be drunk with wine. Interestingly, there's no command in the Bible to be baptized by the spirit. The Bible never says be baptized by the spirit. It just tells us we were baptized by the spirit. And that's because the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a synonym for salvation. That happens whenever a person is saved. Automatically, you don't have to seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It just happens involuntarily the minute you surrender to faith in Jesus Christ. There's no command in the Bible to be indwelled by the Spirit. That's an involuntary action of God. God does that to a believer's life. He just moves in. I mean, you know, you open the door when you are willing by faith to enter into an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. And once you open that door, God just comes in, right? So there's no command to be baptized by the Spirit, no command in the Bible to be indwelled by the Spirit. Those are activities of God that happen upon the believer automatically when that person surrenders to faith in Jesus Christ. But to be filled with the Spirit requires some intentionality on your part. You have to seek the filling of the Holy Spirit. So that's the first thing. Be filled with the Spirit as command of God. Secondly, the Spirit uh, and His filling is for every believer. In exactly the same way that the command to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice is a command for every believer. So this is, again, this is not uh, a special calling for the select few this is a calling that God gives to every body. In the same way he says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. He says to every believer, present, uh, to every believer, be filled with the Spirit. It's a plural you here, which means that Paul applies it to the entire church. How would we say it down south? All y'all, right, there you go, all y'all, be filled with the Spirit. All y'all offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So this very clearly implies that the Spirit-filled life is for every single believer, not a super select spiritual elite. So God wants every Christian disciple to be Spirit-filled, <clears throat> and that's because God wants every Christian disciple to live a life of victory. And there is no victory when you don't present your body a living sacrifice. There is no victory when you're not being continually filled with the Spirit. A third thing that you notice about the command is that the command to be filled with the Spirit is something that God does. It's something that God does in you, something that God does upon you. Now, for those of you that are linguistic scholars here today, the command is in the passive voice, not in the active voice. In other words, the Bible does not say, go fill yourself. It says, you, all y'all, be what? 
be filled, which means that the action is coming upon us from an outside force. It's exactly the same thing in the passage we looked at last week from Romans 12. Uh, the Bible does not say you all transform yourself. It says what? Be transformed. Again, it's a passive mood. You put yourself in the right position and the transformation will happen upon you. And you put yourself in the right position and the spirit filling will come upon you. It's something done on you by an outside force. And of course, we know that outside force to be God. Now, we're very adept at filling ourselves, and this may be where part of the problem is because we're conditioned in 21st century consumer-oriented America to fill our lives with all kinds of things, and we go out and do it, right? The only difference between um, men and women and boys and girls is the price of their toys. Can I have an amen? And so we're very adept at going out and filling our lives with all of these things that we think we have to have in order to live in what we call a victorious, confident, assured kind of way. It's part of our culture. That's how most people live. I mean, that's why the day after Thanksgiving, we call it Black Friday, has become such a very popular phenomenon. Only in America would we set aside one day to give thanks for what we already have only to turn around 24 hours a day and rush out like a herd of wildebeest to fill our lives with the things that we don't yet have. That is quintessential American consumer culture. And we try to bring happiness into our life by filling our lives with everything under the sun, things that do not last, things that inevitably are gonna go out of style, Gita and I have kind of been reorganizing our garage over the last three weeks. I, I'm astounded. I'm repenting before God in my church this morning at how much stuff we just drug out of there. And we didn't even know half of it was even in there. We just knew that we had to get in our cars like this in the morning. Some of this mess has got to go. And some of it had been in there for years, hadn't been touched. And we remembered when we got it. And how special we thought, only to just cast it aside. There's a reason Jesus said, treasure up not for yourself things on earth, treasures on earth, where moth can corrupt and thieves can break in and steal and rust can corrode it. No, treasure up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Stop trying to spend most of your time filling yourselves with the things that you think you have to have in order to live a, a confident, assured, victorious Christian life. Just put yourself in the right position before the Lord, walk by the Spirit of God, and be filled with the Holy Spirit because that's the only place that you're gonna find consistent victory this side of heaven. Now, let me just say, while I got that on the table, let's just go ahead and make everybody mad this morning. It's hard for you to be filled with the Spirit when you're trying to fill your life with everything but the Spirit. I mean, you can fill your life with the best thing money can buy, and most people in the United States of America are still unfulfilled because there is no Spirit power at work within them. 
The spiritual gauge on the dashboard of their life is flashing yellow, which means you're running on fumes. And take my counsel from yesterday. If you're running on fumes, it's gonna cost you 50 to $100 right now. But the price is a lot more expensive than that if you're running on spiritual fumes. And many, maybe even most believers are. That's the tragedy. It doesn't have to be that way. Because to fill your tank up with the Spirit doesn't cost you a dime. You just have to put yourself in the right position and God will provide the high octane. The question is, will you? Then four, the filling of the Spirit is an ongoing, continual process. That's the fourth thing we learn from this little fragment of a sentence here. It's in, it's in the passive mood, linguistic scholars, but it's in the present tense. And in the Greek present tense, whether it's an imperative or an indicative, it's continual action. It's ongoing, repetitive action. That's what the parent, present tense Greek conveys to us. So we would literally translate, if we were using an Amplified Bible this morning, some of you may have an Amplified Bible. Y'all, all y'all keep on continually being filled with the Spirit. Does that make sense? So in other words, what does this tell me as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? It is God's will for my tank to have a tiger in it 100% of the time. All the time. If you're running on depleted fumes, you are outside of the will of God and it doesn't have to be that way. This is why you're in a desert this morning. Because God designs us to be continually filled with the Spirit. And you can't expect to be Spirit-filled perpetually in your life unless you stay constantly engaged. And this is where you have to apply some effort. Grace is a wonderful thing. But the grace of God, the grace of God will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit, but the grace of God is not going to keep you filled with the Holy Spirit. That requires spiritual energy on your part. Y'all tracking with me? Say amen. You got to want it. And you have to seek it. And you have to then live by the Spirit in order that you might stay filled with the Spirit. Listen, if you drive every day, the gas that you put in your car this time last week, it's not going to stay in there indefinitely. You're going to burn it up. You're going to use it up. The same is true with the Spirit. Because the world that we live in has a way of, I mean, you know, your, your, your combustion engine in your car is designed to burn that fuel. And God didn't design the world as we know it, at least not in the beginning, to burn up the fuel reserves within his children's lives called the Holy Spirit, but that's the end result of the brokenness of the world. That's what sin has done. Sin has crept into the world. Listen, there, there are lots of factors in life every day that will cause the Spirit to become depleted in your life. The world has a way of depleting your spiritual reserves. Sin surely has a way, and of course, if you're not walking by the Spirit, then you're gonna walk according to the flesh, and that means you're going to sin. And I'm just saying this morning, nothing is gonna deplete spiritual reserves like sin. Sin is gonna sap you spiritually. 
and cause you to do the very thing that Paul said not to do in Romans 12. Sin will cause you to be conformed to this world. People, I know this comes as a shock, people will deplete your spiritual reserves. Hey, hey, hey. Isn't that right? Circumstances, world events, let me just tell you, you ought to be informed about what's going on in Europe right now, but if you, if you keep it turned on 24 hours a day, you're gonna have a Debbie Downer. It's gonna suck the life right out of you if you're not careful. World events can do it, disappointment can do it, grief can do it. There are all kinds of things that can sap our spirit reserves. That's why you have to keep on being spirit-filled. You have to keep pumping that tiger in your tank when you pull into the gas station or it's not gonna run and you have to make sure that you keep a tiger in your spiritual tank and you gotta do it daily. Now to be sure, let me just make this statement as a clarifying statement. You can, if you're a genuine born again believer, you can run on fumes. But the beautiful thing about the grace of God is you never will go all the way to empty, amen. Because again, God has indwelled you by his spirit. What's the first command that our Lord Jesus Christ gives to a born again believer? Command number one, or promise number one is a better way to say that. What's the first promise Jesus makes to every born again believer upon the time of salvation? I will never what? I will never leave you nor forsake you. So the beautiful thing is, even though the dashboard is flashing yellow, you won't ever, if you're a genuine believer, you'll never go consistently to empty because nothing shall separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord and nothing means what? Nothing. So the Spirit seals us, the Spirit secures us until the time that we're face to face with the Lord in the kingdom of heaven. But there are times where even though we've got the Spirit, Here's the problem. The Spirit doesn't always have all of us, does He? And that's where the separation comes in. That's where the distancing happens. The Spirit is never going to distance Himself from you. He's in you. The problem is you get sidetracked by the world. You get sidetracked by headlines. You get sidetracked by mean-spirited people. You get sidetracked by unexpected events and bitter blows. And slowly but surely, there becomes a spiritual drift that takes place. It's the very thing the writer to the Hebrews warned us to not let happen. Beware, lest any of you drift from the presence of a holy God. And sometimes we do. And what we lose when we drift from the presence of the Father is victory. That's what we lose. We lose the victory of Christ. We lose the joy of Jesus. We lose the peace. We lose the enjoyment of the benefits of the Spirit. I'm just saying, man, show me somebody that cops an attitude all the time, and I'll show you somebody that needs to be filled with the Spirit. Show me somebody that's got an agenda, constantly carping, always negative, somebody that's never thankful, Show me somebody that's constantly given over to anxiety, somebody that's angry and bitter and resentful, and I'll show you somebody that's not filled with the spirit of the living God. 
I'm telling you, the longer you live, one of two things is likely going to happen. You'll either grow sweeter or you'll grow more bitter. And we all know both kinds of people, don't we? I mean, I've known some people that have been through hell on earth and they're the sweetest, most loving, Christ-honoring people on the planet. And I know people who have basically had an experience that matters little more than a splinter under a fingernail. And they're angry and they're hostile and they're resentful and they don't want to have anything to do with God. It's not hard to tell by the passing years. You can usually tell it on the countenance of somebody's face. Not hard to tell when somebody has grown closer to Jesus or when somebody has become cynical and embittered and resentful across the years. Now, all of this raises a question, namely the how question. How can a believer make sure that they remain continually filled with the Holy Spirit? Uh, the question is, who's controlling your life? It's really a question of control. Are you in control? Are you putting yourself in a position where God can control your life? This is the concept behind the imagery of being filled. Because all throughout the Bible, there are more than one area, there is more than one area where this concept of being filled with something. For example, there are times when you encounter people in the Bible and they're filled with rage. Well, somebody that's filled with rage is somebody that's controlled by rage. Their, their anger is directing the whole course of their life, right? Sometimes you'll see characters in the Bible and we're told they were filled with jealousy, right? And if they're filled with jealousy, that means that just controls every part of how they respond to people and circumstances in life. So you can literally be possessed by a feeling or an emotion that leads you to do things that you wouldn't ordinarily do. And that's where this analogy that Paul makes of being filled with the Spirit in comparison to being drunk with wine makes such great sense. Because it's both a comparison and a contrast. If a person is drunk with wine or drunk with any kind of intoxicating substance for that matter, we refer to that person as being under the what? There it is, under the influence. And it's not a perfect comparison. It's both a comparison and a contrast because the alcohol part, whenever that happens, that's uniformly negative, right? Because you get in a world of trouble when you're under the influence. They're under the influence of a controlling substance that's leading them to do things that they wouldn't ordinarily do, right? The alcohol in that sense becomes transformational. It's the outside substance at work from without on the inside of the person that's transforming the person into someone they are not naturally. That person is unable to walk a straight line. That person is unable to touch their nose with their fingertips. When they normally would be able to do it, the alcohol has had a transformational effect on their behavior. Now here's Paul's point. What alcohol does to a person negatively and physically, the Holy Spirit does to a person positively and spiritually. You see that? 
The Holy Spirit is that outside substance working from within that makes us walk and talk, act and react in ways that naturally we would not do. It's like the 23rd Psalm says, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That statement has no meaning apart from the work of the Holy Spirit within you because you don't have what it takes to walk in the paths of righteousness by yourself. You've got to have help. And that's where the Holy Spirit plays such a vital role. You put yourself in a position where the Spirit of God can lead you down those righteous paths. Every person in here could identify very quickly the weak links of their life. We all have weak links in the chain of our life, and you know exactly where they are. Most people who fall into bad habits, they want to change, particularly if they're followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, they want to change, but they end up frustrating, uh, frustrated because they keep veering into bad traffic patterns. I've had people look me in the eye and say, look, I've tried to change my language and I just can't do it. And you know my response is? That's because you're trying to do it. No, you're not going to be able to do that because you're the one trying to do it. Or somebody says, yeah, I just can't, I can't control this temper. That's because you're trying to control it. And so here's the secret. Y'all ready for a secret this morning? Here's the secret. Quit spending so much time trying to change your behavior and spend more of your time putting yourself in a position where you can be filled with the Spirit. Just walk daily in the Spirit of God. See, it sounds coarse, but it's true. A drunk man does not purposely try to change his behavior. It's just changed, right? He doesn't have to do anything to change his behavior. He drinks, and the corresponding behavior is the result. And the same is true with the Spirit. When the Spirit is, when you put yourself in this position where the Spirit can move within your life, He begins to course through your spiritual veins and become, uh, begins to control your life in a supernatural way. And now your behavior changes, not because you're trying to do anything to change it, but because you've put yourself in a position where God is at work in your life and the behavior changes with it. This is the Spirit filled life. And when you walk in the Spirit of God consistently, the supernatural becomes natural. You don't have to think. You don't have to process. I wonder if God would be pleased with it. No, you just engage in Christ-pleasing behavior when you're filled with the Spirit of God. Now, how does all this happen? And I've got to conclude. How do you ensure that yours is a Spirit-filled life? Well, mark these two things down. That's all I've got time to tread this morning. One, just to understand it requires an intentional effort. I mean, the phrase is walk by the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit. These are commands, which means they, they don't happen automatically. You have to do it. You have to pursue them. Again, for the 40th time, put yourself in a position where God can work in your life. That means living as a living sacrifice. Nobody ever goes to a spirit-filled life. And it, it requires energy, effort. The only way to coast is downhill. You gotta walk uphill. You gotta exert. 
And nobody ever becomes spirit-filled when they're careless about spiritual things. I'm not talking about working for your salvation. Did you hear me say amen? I'm talking about being filled with the spirit. You have to apply an effort in order to grow spiritually. And there are some people who are born again believers and the unfortunate thing is they never get past first grade. This is the reason you have statements in the Bible. Hebrews 6, let us leave the elementary things about Christ and move on to maturity. That's a command, which means you gotta do it. So you can be indwelled by the Spirit, but still be in elementary school. You can still be drinking milk instead of being a gospel carnivore with that 25-ounce porterhouse on your plate every morning. Amen. So uh, Christianity, man, has got to be a daily experience for you. It cannot just be a Sunday-only thing. Because again, that's like going to lunch today, wherever you're going to go and eat lunch, eating a good lunch and say, boy, that was great. I hope I make it to next Sunday. No, Christianity is meant to be experienced and lived every single day of your life. Secondly, you have to make worship a way of life. It's not just, again, a Sunday only thing. That's how you walk in the spirit. It's how you stay filled with the spirit. You make worship an every day, practically in every moment, experience of your life. Where all throughout the day, you're in communion with God. You're thinking about God. You're, you're visiting with God. You're meditating upon God. Some, some of those moments will be deeper than others. Sometimes it'll just be a passing thought, but you never want to become distant from the Lord, not even for a second. Paul mentions three things in Ephesians 5. We didn't have a chance to read it early, and we'll just read it today. Critical if you want to remain filled with the Spirit. Look at what he says in verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always, circle the word always, and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. From that statement, that comes right on the heels of the command to be filled with the Spirit. Three things generally follow. Praise, thanksgiving, and fellowship. Those three things, three ways right there that you can help to ensure that you remain filled with the Spirit. Continual praise, continual thanksgiving for the goodness of God, seeing God at work in every person, every circumstance, circumstance, every life event, and being thankful for the goodness of God and how God is at work, and then fellowship with God's people. Critically important part of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Jesus said, really, it's all about cultivating what he called a hunger and a thirst for God. How hungry are you for all of God? Jesus said it, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they will be what? They will be filled. Never doubt that God wants you full. He wants you filled. But you have to want it. You have to pursue it. You have to desire it.
And for those who do, God is ready to fill you with the power that you need to live for God with wisdom, to obey God with consistency, and then to live with the victory that you so desperately want, not just in a season of life, but God gives the believer everything that man or woman needs to live in victory every single day. The question is, do you want it? And what price are you willing to pray to seek it in Jesus' name?